Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 141. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, I am now warm. We're not in the water. <laughs> we're not freezing. No more polar plunges, uh, at least till 2050. 2015. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm you excited. You like a gazelle in that water, Josh. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was no fun. That was no fun. It, it was, was fun cold. watching Ryan. It wasn't fun going in. That's that's for sure. Well, it is over. Nate's working on a video, so you you can expect that by 2052. <laughs> so we'll get the next polar plunge in before Nate gets his video out. But anyways, I we promise it'll be out before the next presidential election. But not the next primary vote. No. No. Okay. So we will uh, get that out um, hopefully in the next few days, maybe this week. A um, couple quick things. It was cold. Thank you for everyone who did give us a five-star review. We do appreciate that. And so I think the next thing, Josh, is we're going to work on our Mount Rushmore. You know, uh, I don't I don't have the rankings here in front of me, but in some countries we're pretty high, and we're trying to get the top four status here in, uh, in the good old U.S. of A., which is the Texas oil and gas. You know, that's where we're, we're at, so it makes sense. But So maybe Mount Rushmore will be our next big push. But we do appreciate everyone for leaving us a five-star review. Um, also, if you're at NAPE this week, I'll be down, there, be down there for a few days. I'm not sure. Uh, my wife had had surgery last month, and so I can't promise i'll be down there for all of nate but for a few days so if you hear this you want to meet up shoot me a note i'll try to schedule some time to meet with any of the listeners that are down there for nape um other than that josh that's um i think that's it i did have someone text me over the weekend and said hey y'all should make this an annual event and i thought what a wonderful idea we will stay on the beach and watch and record while they go in annually into the lake Hey, that's not that's, a bad idea. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea, huh? Yeah, I like it. I yeah. mean, anything that requires other people to go in the water so I can watch yeah. is a fair yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, so there it is. Ryan, we had uh, another review. I was uh, had it pulled up, and then I actually – here we go. Uh, so, Wyo Coyote, great podcast. I really enjoy what you're doing. Also enjoy when David Blackman is on. I've had the pleasure of working with him in the past and appreciate – uh, his context on things. So, yeah, we we love uh, we love David as well, Yo. Um, I think we got an article actually that we're going to bring up with him uh, today. So, so shout out to Cody who may or may not be from Wyoming. Wyo Cody. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> we just wanted the awkward pause, Nate. Yep. Not the personal. It is personal actually, but not the personal. This is what they do to me every day. It's far worse. We tone it down for the show. So, uh, as everybody is aware, gas prices are pretty low. I just, uh, you know, Josh, with that hard hitting news. Yeah, Look at him. <laughs> fill, filled up, filled up the gas tanks. Everybody knows. So, this there's an article uh, released by the Houston Chronicle that said that the coronavirus is one of the the, the drivers behind the, the lower gas prices. Uh, I wasn't too sure about that, so I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, your thoughts, Ron? I mean, do you think that this Obviously, the perception of things and, and the way markets react can cause the prices to go down. Do you think it's having that much of an impact as far as bringing the prices down, you know, 15, 20 cents? Uh, well, you talk about gasoline here. So I'd have to go back and look at how much gas, how the storage trend of the gas was beforehand. And it, but if I remember correctly, um, 
the gasoline inventory has been increasing over the past few months. So um, that's something Anas follows pretty regularly, and he talked about, well, I know at least when we met with him, and I think also when he was on the show, but gasoline buildup and how we can have, we, you know, that, that, that's one of the issues that you're going to see in the market. So, yeah, prices could fall because oil and gas prices are falling. I think the the Chinese, I'm not sure which which stock exchange it was, but opened and dropped like 9% instantly on opening uh, when it opened yesterday. So prices are definitely suffering, and I don't know how much longer this will last. I will say this for perspective. The common flu, I think, kills between 30 to 70 people a day or something like that. Oh, here it is. 32 to 167 people per day in the U.S. die from the flu. And so... Um, I think there's a couple hundred who have died. Coronavirus has claimed 161 lives. 161. Okay, so to get to those, those are rookie numbers compared to what the flu does. You know, those aren't those aren't real threat-like numbers that you see at scale. And listen, it's scary, and, and if you're there and all that, I, I, I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying, in the grand scheme of things, the flu is taking out folks on a daily basis at the clip of at least 30 people every day in the U.S. That's not even globally. So you start putting it in perspective. The markets are reacting, overreacting, in my opinion. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks this will kind of all shake out, and I think we'll see prices begin to rebound at that point. Hmm. There was a, a little note in there that, you know, about three weeks, we about three weeks left of continuing to fall um, gas prices. So as we see that going on. Um, gasoline. We'll say gasoline just so everyone knows. Gas up that boat, people. Hey, you know, um, Sergio, I did see on the weekend, not to go see if I can find it, he sent out a tweet um, from San Antonio. I guess he was down there. And he found gas at $1.98, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, some, and he tagged the gas buddy people, and they said that was like the second lowest price in the nation at that uh, like that day. Let's see here. Sergio found it for a dollar 90, dollar 91 basically, dollar 90 wow. in Houston. And uh I guess that's yeah, that's 87. Uh for perspective, the next day up in Granbury it was a dollar 99. So, um of course that diesel which is like any good red-blooded American, I put in my truck was 259. I'm ready for five dollar gasoline again. Just just saying I like five dollar gasoline, five dollar diesel, so you know, whatever we can do to get our, get them prices up, I'm in favor of it. Well, support the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, and we will pump the gas prices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. We will petition Trump to stop tweeting oh, so the gas prices rise. Oh, oh, we didn't read our Speakner Prophet of Doom. Oh, we didn't. Oh, man. God. Okay, so I'll tell you what. Uh, maybe we'll have to make a special. We might have to do like a special Nate recording of the Speakner text. It is a long one. Um, so... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll read it next week or something. Uh, we got a short episode this week, so maybe next week. But we have some great Speakner text that came in. <laughs> The Prophet of Doom is back and in all of his glory. So oh, he's... Uh, we will get that to you guys hopefully this week or next week. So uh, earlier uh, today, Baker Hughes, um, well, they didn't launch it today, but the article came out that Baker Hughes launches a artificial intelligence software to optimize oil and gas production. We've been talking about some of the bandwidth issues out in the Permian, and so I thought with uh, some of the developments that uh, Baker Hughes is having with some of this automation, that it may have some relevance to uh, managing the data in, in the Permian where you know, uh, cellular bandwidth is limited. So um, this interesting article, I'll link it in the show notes, but I think it's good to see um, 
even with offshore stuff that this technology is continuing to move forward and I'm, I'm excited to see how some of these things are going to impact the the land side you know what's funny josh is i i see and listen there's no doubt the oil and gas industry is a little bit slow to to adapt to things but i see a lot of criticism online uh linkedin and wherever about you know the industry's old and it doesn't adapt and it's not changing and so on some level that there there is there is some truth to that, but there's. It also seems like we've kind of overplayed that narrative a little bit. That, um, that yeah, okay, but you see stuff like this and some of the other stuff we talk about on the show the past few months. The, the industry is it's not catching up with the times. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but it's definitely evolving to use that term. And it's, it is using more technology. It is trying to figure out new ways. And part of that is because of the low price environment we, we've been in. We haven't been in a hundred dollar oil, which does not incentivize cost-saving mechanisms. And so I think at this point, the low prices that we've seen, air quotes were low, but not, you know, $50 range has really helped the industry try to figure out new ways to use tools, whether they be, you know, um, some kind of AI technology or big data or all these terms that I don't understand, you know, to, to deploy those to save costs to improve uh, returns. Okay, well, that that's something we should be applauding. And we still got a long way to go, but it is, I think it is a narrative that we don't hear often counteract. It's like, well, you know what? Hey, um, we're actually doing things. And the final thing I'll say is, is that we sent around a memo internally the, the other day and looked at the rig count. We talked about this before. We looked at the rig count from, what was it, like from the 60s mm-hmm. all the way to today. And if you look at the highest rigs, it was in, what, the 70s or something like that, in the 70s or 80s. And so the amount of rigs that we've lost over the past 30, 40 years and the productivity that we have is astronomical. Well, that's not because you're doing it the same way you did it in 1970. That's a result of you actually doing things new and improved ways. Or things have become just easier because the oil is easier to get. Well, we know that's not true because this oil is actually harder to get because we had to go in and fracking the wells. So we're actually doing things a lot more advanced, if you will, than we have. So I think there's probably more indicators out there that we'd like to acknowledge Listen, long way to go, still obstacles to face to get stuff into uh, up to speed, if you will, but but we probably beat the drum a little too much, and we're probably guilty as that as, any, as anyone else. But I thought it would be a good time to kind of point that out, that there, there's plenty of signs that we are evolving, if you will. Speaking of, Ryan, uh, the evolution of the industry as we become more efficient, uh, it could be hurting um, companies as well. Uh, I say hurting companies. It's not hurting the industry. But there are companies that may be struggling to keep up, kind of survival of the fittest in the, in the business world. So there's an article that uh, oilprice.com has where oil bankruptcies are reaching worrying levels. And I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Wood McKenzie, uh, they were at a Society of Petroleum Engineers last week, guy there was giving a talk. And he mentioned that the, um, that the industry basically has six to nine months of prices being in the, the low 50s, low to mid 50s. And... Toward the end of the year, we're either going to see companies able to ride it out as the as the prices begin to go back up, or a handful of further bankruptcies that are going to cause the industry to have a supply shortage that's going to cause prices to to sharply increase at a certain point. So, with all these uh, bankruptcies that we're seeing, uh, you know, this article is saying that it's reaching worrying levels. Um, going back to 2015 through 2019, there were 208 uh, oil and gas producers that have filed for bankruptcy. Uh, so that, that's a that's a pretty big number over a four-year period. 
Uh, what's going to be interesting to see is how does industry deal with it, and will it cause a supply shortage? Because we really don't want that. I know, I know you mentioned, you know, and jokingly wanting five dollar oil. We don't want to see it go from two five to five. Gasoline. Five dollar gasoline. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Five dollar oil would be I never, awful. I've, just for the record, Ryan Ray does not endorse five dollar oil. Yeah. Never has. Never here will. First, row, yeah. folks. Ryan Ray is not about Cut five dollar oil. Get that out of here. <laughs> Josh Shelton says he does. Yes. Libel so, uh, action next week. Yeah. So it, with with uh, we don't want to see the the price jump up and then all these yeah. people going going from two dollar gasoline to five dollar gasoline would mean something has drastically changed and yeah. probably not for the better. And we're not very good with that, right? As human beings, we jump on it trying to make as much money as we can as quickly as we can, rather than trying to get it to rebalance. We would definitely drill it back down quickly. Um, so that that's the. That's going to be the thing with all these bankruptcies. It's it. I hope that the market balances. Um, well, but. yeah, yeah. Sorry, cut you off. I, I was, one thing I would say is that yeah, agreed. Um, and a good way to think about this is if you think about like when a hurricane hits. You know, you, you see all these contractors that move in, do debris pickup, and you know, repair roofs, and they do all this stuff, and they're charging a premium because listen. You know, everyone's the insurance companies are paying a premium, and they need done, they need done quickly. They need the city back to be restored. So, if the prices were to um, get out of whack and then shoot up, then yeah, people would be trying to, to capitalize. Everyone that we know, probably including us on this podcast, would be trying to capitalize on on that. It's just human nature, as you're saying. Um, the, the the one thing that's been encouraging, I think, about the prices though, is that the market has really held the prices down. They haven't really let the prices go back up. Um, and, and what you've seen is the prices react to the uh, Soleimani death, the embassy attack, and then the, the drone strike on our, our base over in Iraq. And then by, what, two or three days later, the prices were back below where they were. So the market is really just picking up a few uh, extra bucks by, you know, adjusting and then readjusting. And then the traders are scraping off, they're skimming off the difference and going about their business. But they're not actually thinking that this is going on. The fundamentals are more driving the market, um, at least what, they're, what they think the f- – at least what they think is important about the fundamentals now. Because um, going back into 2019, a lot of the talk was trade fears were keeping prices down. The trade fear, trade fear, trade fear. Well, phase one trade deal signed. But there's still a lot of meat on that bone to, to take care of, but trade one's done. And so um, the prices didn't react. They didn't do anything. Um, so as you move forward, though, you'll see the implications of the trade deal in the U.S. economy and the Chinese economy. Um, now you're coming in with the coronavirus and you're saying, okay, hey, you know what, there could be demand in China lost. And I think that the way to look at the, the, the lost demand in China is kind of a couple parts. So if every Tuesday Josh goes to the store to buy his groceries and he doesn't go this Tuesday the 5th or 4th, whatever his Tuesday is, because of the coronavirus, okay, and then he waits until next Tuesday, because Tuesday's the only day he can go. I'm making a kind of a crazy analogy to make it work. But if he waits until next Tuesday to go, do you ever get that gasoline that was burned back? And the answer is no, right, because that's when he went. So the days that people stay home from work, the days they do this stuff, you don't get that actual demand side back because there's no way to actually replicate it. You might get a percentage of it back, so Josh might go um, this Thursday or he might not, uh, and then pick back on Tuesday. Um, so some of the demand uh, that you that you would see from China is gone because those flights that were going to happen, well, those flights are gone now. Some of them will come back. The carriers will probably overcompensate for a short period of time to kind of make up to get people in and out of China. But long term, they're not going to. Every person that was going to fly is no longer going to fly. 
So it will have an impact on the market. It's just how long do things like this last? And this, it, it feels like, um, like with the drone strikes and the, and the bombings and stuff, the, the market kind of reacts and goes back down. This, the markets kind of like to let it linger out there a little bit longer because they technically don't know. But as I said a few minutes ago, 30 people to 167 people, depending on how much you you factor in what the flu is actually doing, die daily in the U.S. and the markets are not reacting to that at all. And Nate, we've had how many? 160-something people die? Uh, I just looked it up. The global count is 362 for all countries. 362. Yeah. Okay. That's so all countries that it's spread to now. Okay. And, and we're recording this on Monday at uh, yeah Monday 10:22. at 10:22. So. We currently have about 17,000 cases infected globally, with that number of deaths. So it's a really low percentage of mortality. Really low far. percentage. And most yeah. of those people, I haven't looked at the numbers, are probably people who are already sick or ill. Or I mean, if you're being again, not to get too morbid, but most people die of sickness are usually ill to begin with. Yeah. Rarely do people die um, of kind of, you know, the call for the flu or you know, the people that die, those 12,000 to 67,000 people, they already have, they're already old or they're already weak immune system. Yeah. Maybe they're, maybe they've got cancer and they've got uh, chemo, whatever. That, you know, so that's usually what you're seeing here. Anyways, Josh, I'm saying that you talk about the prices being low. Um, you know, it's funny because just a few weeks ago we said, hey, well, the production's going to slow down. The ducks we got coming on here in a few weeks, I know. Um, all those things are in our favor, but now you have this that's kind of dragging on this narrative to bring the prices down. Um, that's a very long-winded way of saying I'm not sure the prices will shoot up in 2021 because the market has felt like it's really tried to keep the prices balanced. Um, but stranger things have happened, and it's uh, we're a little bit further off. Final thing on the bankruptcies is, you know, the bankruptcies are bad for the people working there. We talk about technology. We talk about ideas being exchanged. One way that you get new technology, one way you get new ideas, is acquiring companies. So if assets and companies and personnel are leaving from company A to company B, that actually expedites that process, either through a buyout, which is the preferred method, but even a bankruptcy, you can begin to um, acquire new technology, new information, new assets, new ways to do things because you, you bought a bankrupt company. Yeah. And just, just for perspective here, um, 2015, 2016, there were 100 bankruptcies. Then in 2017, there was 24. In 20, and, uh, 2018, there were 28. Uh, and then this past year, 2019, it jumped up to 42. So, so we'll link to the article, and we'll also I'll send this to Nate. He can link to the um, the actual report they're referencing in there as well, so he'll have that. And then our buddy uh, David Blackman, he had a, a pretty pretty good article. Greenpeace pressures Democrats to reinstate the crude export ban. So this ban was put in place in 1977, and then in 2015, it. Uh, it lifted that ban of, of exporting. So from what I understand, Ryan, is they used to have to get a permit that was very hard to get in order to export anything. And so it greatly hampered uh, businesses' ability to to export oil and gas, oil and natural gas. So um, there is a talks of trying to reinstate this export ban. Now, what David points out, which is very interesting, is if the U.S. is banned, it doesn't actually help the climate emissions because another company that's outside of the United States is going to step in and fill in the gap. So Saudis or Russia or whatever. Whoever, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, surely they're not that goofy to think that this is actually going to help the climate that by exporting, by uh, preventing exports from the U.S. that they're actually going to prevent fossil fuels from being used. It just seems to be a very, uh, 
I don't know. May, may, maybe there's more to it that uh, just above my pay grade, but it seems to be a silly, a silly thing. I don't. Yeah, I've often wondered about that because so there is an argument to be made from their side, which is we can't control what China does, we can't control what Russia does, but we can't control the U.S. And so, kind of the incrementalist debate, right? So we're gonna we're gonna stop the banning on the U.S. side because that's really all we control, and we can hope that eventually um, other nations. Um, we'll do that. I, I think the thing to consider here is if you're on the Greenpeace humanitarian side is um, so the United States of America has its own issues and its own problems that we can talk about in length if we want to. But some of these other nations that will profit off of the U.S. not exporting oil are worse human rights violators um, than we currently are. And so if you want to, quote unquote, save the environment, that's fine. But understand that some of these other nations are um, – you know, ran by tyrannical states, um, human rights, you know, a lot of the, the social justice issues that are out in our, our country today, these nations wouldn't be in favor of that. So you're actually going to strengthen those regimes when you roll back the U.S.'s ability to export oil. And that's that's not even taking a stance on whether you should be in favor or against those social justice issues. I'm just simply saying if those are things you're concerned about, when you limit the U.S.'s ability to export oil, you are strengthening folks who are or directly by legislative measures against some of these other initiatives that you be for. So you might reduce the CO2 emissions. You might do certain things, but there's other things that are going to have the impact here. So the incrementalist argument might work on some level, but there's actually other implications. Do you think Iran is actually going to watch its emissions um, if it has a chance to increase exports to the to the black market and notice i said black market because it's it's quote-unquote illegal for them to sell it so do you think they're going to be worried about emissions and all that kind of stuff if they're if they're increased exports the answer is no so um these aren't very well thought through arguments and unfortunately you know i don't know if the morons who run greenpeace actually are thinking about anything other than than, you know something very simple it's the people that they impact is the concern because the people they impact are probably good people who have all these ideas and motivations and stuff. It's like, well, let's just stop and think about some of the implications here, which is you are going to give strength to some nations that uh, are definitely not going to do what you would want with the money, and they're going to do things that you are actively protesting against in the U.S. So just keep all that in mind. Be careful what you wish for. So an article came out from Heart Energy, EMP, Last Word, Sharing Data and Best Practice Advice Between Operators. So I just wanted to mention this one, Ryan. We actually had somebody on. I, don't, I forget who they yeah, were with. It's like, they, it's like they stole our. I think they stole this from our, our podcast. Is what I happened. think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is another one of those things where they're uh, they're making the big bucks listening to the podcast. Uh, so the we had a, we had a, a question of how all how are the companies going to handle uh, these investments in big data? Are they going to share their information back you know between companies so that there can be quick progress, or do they want to kind of monopolize monopolize their information? and hold on to it and try to use it to their advantage and all the companies doing that so none of them cross sharing and uh, learning from from others um, so this was this article is pretty interesting if you want to go in and take a look at it it um, it talks about some of the some of these companies and and how they're integrating data from other companies and using that to be more efficient um, and then uh, we have another article with Sergio Chapa drilling down. ConocoPhillips ready for major round of drilling in the Eagleford shale. So uh, Eagleford looks like there's been a couple companies that have been talking about upping their drilling, um, you know, in, in the Eagleford. So 
uh, ConocoPhillips is one to watch out let me, there. Let me tell you something about Sergio. <laughs> let me just tell you something about Sergio. This man hates the Barnett shell. He hates it. it look, look, here's, here's how Sergio leads off um, his Barnett shell section. There were no drilling permits filed for horizontal wells in the Barnett shell over the past week. But Jack County is emerging as a hot spot for conventional wells. Why don't you just lead with Jack County is emerging with the hot, as a hot spot? Why, why, why don't you start with the positive, Sergio? I know if it bleeds, it leads, but come he on, man. He knows you're out here, right? Huh? He knows you're out here. I just... It's a personal insult. It, it is. You know, and listen, I, as someone who has published a, a few articles now for a major Chinese publication... Worldwide jur- gen- journalist, Ryan Yes, I, as someone who has those street creds now, I didn't have those before. I can actually come to Sergio as a colleague and say, Sergio, what you're doing here is, is it, it's, it's a disgrace. Journalistically unethical. Yes, it's a disgrace to the industry. Please, please report the facts. Jack County is emerging as a hot spot. That should be that. You know what? That should have been the lead. That should have been the lead, in my opinion. Don't let the good story get in the way of the facts, Sergio. <sighs> It's just, I mean, it's it's like you know, not only are we down, not only are we out. Sergio's off the top rope with the elbow and just boom every week. Listen, there's good people up here, Sergio. We got wet last week, Sergio, and you just had to come over here and double down on us, kick us while we were down, curb stomp us, and drag us through the mud. It's just depressing. It's just depressing. So, anyways, but yeah, good work on that, Sergio. I suppose. And actually, we have another one for Sergio. Oh, yeah. uh, Kinder Morgan obtains final pieces of right of way for controversial pipeline. So there's a 430 mile Permian mm-hmm. highway pipeline to move mm-hmm. 2 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day. They were at 99%. They just picked up the last few pieces of land needed to, uh, to route this, uh, this project. They're just missing the permits from the uh, Army, or, uh, Army Corps of Engineers. So they have the right of way. They're missing the permits. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. So it. Uh, should should be moving forward. And then this is the one we followed, I think, for quite some time. You know, a lot of lot of uh, a lot of controversy surrounding this. So uh, maybe maybe we get Sergio to talk about you know what's going on with it or why has it been uniquely? Because it feels like the the landowners have kind of really thumbed their nose at this one, maybe more so than others, or maybe it's got more news coverage. Oh, wow. See, this is how we love Sergio. We just give him publicity after publicity after publicity. Give you all the air time, And then he Sergio. just takes Barnett shell and just kicks it. Listen, and you man. stab us in the back. Listen, the Barnett will ride again, okay? I'm calling it February 3rd, 2020. The Barnett will ride again. And Sergio will rue the day when he has to write positive articles about it. So. <laughs> Uh, Enterprise Products Partners closes year with record $4.6 billion profit. I know a good podcast uh, they, they can invest in. So four point, Listen, listen. If you say 4.6, make it 4.5, they'll be happy. We'll be happy. It'll be a record probably. Everyone's a win. That's a win, 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 win. That's a lot of wins. A lot of wins. Yeah. We'll give them all kinds of free publicity too. Yeah, I'd well, I mean, it won't be free, but you I'll know, do another polar plunge. For, yeah, oh, uh, I'd go live in the lake for that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to our friends over at Epco. And a lot of good folks over there, so good, good for them. So uh, I, I imagine everyone's heard of uh, Chesapeake, the uh, the gas blast mm-hmm. at the Energy Oil Well near, mm-hmm. near Brian. So just in keeping with the nature of the podcast, uh, went to search to see if Sergio had any updates. So. Um, he released an article on February the 1st that said third man dies 
after gas blast at Chesapeake Energy Oil Well near Bryan. So uh, thoughts and prayers with, uh, with those injured out there. I don't know if they know what the ignition came from. I think they said that too much uh, natural gas entered into a well and ignited, but they don't know what where the ignition came from or why it ignited. So yeah, and if there's a GoFundMe or whatever, I know GoFundMe is a big one, but if anything like that, and you guys know that are uh, helping the families out of these folks, you know, send it in to Nate. We'll be sure to pass that around in the podcast, in the show notes, or, or wherever for the next episode. But um, terrible stuff, and uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a sad, sad day for those folks. Can't imagine. So anything we can do to help uh, you know, raise money or awareness, then we want to want to do that. Well, with that, Ryan, I think that uh, wraps us up for the day. So uh, until uh, until next week. So who, who do we have next week? Was it uh... next week? We have on drum roll, please. While the schedule loads. While Nate's doing that, I'll read the next sales tip. From Matthew Crawford. Matthew Crawford. We coming Travis on. Travis Simmering with Dynamis Power Solutions. Okay, so we have another sales tip from our large cap EMP uh, operational engineer. This comes from com slash sales-tips. Link to it in the show notes. Have a cool down uh, downhole tool, plug, gadget you want to show off? Awesome. Bring a nice rubber mat to set it on. Sounds stupid. It's not. It's poor It's poor form to throw a 30-pound chunk of 4340 steel onto a nice conference room table or desk. People do it all the time. I have the desk scars to prove it. So let's just Man, unpack this. We've got this our conference table here. Let's I would yeah. hate to have some. Let's just unpack that. it there. I don't even know if it's 4340 is how you say it or if it's 4340 or I don't know, but we'll call it 4340 because I'm not a steel guy. But uh, I can just see someone lugging in a 30 pound chunk of steel and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to show them. And I mean, you know, get the, get, the, get the biceps out, the lats are flexing a little bit and just fling on the desk. But. If you leave the scar on the man's office table or the conference table or desk, that's probably not the way to go. So give him something to remember. You give him something it. to remember. And you remember last week we talked about the branded Yeti cup. So you got to remember the Yeti cup. You can kind of fling down, and you're probably not going to do any damage. <laughs> when you bring the thirty pound downhole tool and you throw it on the desk, it is going to leave a scar. So uh, I was really stunned when he told us that that day that uh, that happens. But so. Um, with that being said, we probably should uh, make some text on guys podcast rubber mats, start selling them. So when they throw them down, everyone knows this mat, this desk prevention is sponsored by the, the Texas Oil Gas podcast. podcast. We're here to prevent. So we'll work on getting some mats made up for you guys. Uh, Nate, if you're there, hit me up. And if not, we will talk to you next week. And until then, keep climbing.